The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our New Testament reading this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When Jesus was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, Pilate asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is God's word. Father in heaven, I just pray that you would use these words that I have to speak, that you have to speak powerfully, that you would help me get out of the way and help your gospel be displayed in your risen son. Amen. So this is the end of the Gospel of Mark. What a strange way to end a book. Read the last line. No one said anything, for they were afraid. No one said anything, for they were afraid. The end. Many historians believe the original conclusion to the book of Mark was actually destroyed. It was lost. And what you see in your Bibles, you have usually texts written beyond verse 8, right? That's man's attempt to put a bow on this gospel. That's men's attempt to put a period at the end of this dash, and they were afraid. To provide us some resolution to this cliffhanger. But most would agree that what comes after verse 8 doesn't come from the writer Mark. So here we are left with what God, in his working all things for good, intended to be the end of this gospel. No one said anything, for they were afraid. 
If that were truly the ending of the story of Jesus' work here on earth, none of us would be sitting here. The women would open their mouths. Fear would not be the final word. But if the original audience of Mark's gospel were Roman Christians who were facing persecution, who were facing suffering, and who were facing crucifixion maybe even for their faith, wouldn't this ending make a little more sense? When you hear the ending, no one said anything for they were afraid. Does that stir something in you that says, uh-uh, uh-uh, we, we can't leave it there? When have you been in a situation where no one said anything because they were afraid? Maybe you were at a dinner party in which someone dropped a bomb like, we're getting divorced because he's having an affair and he's standing right there. No one said anything because they were afraid. Maybe it's a school lunchroom where everyone on their phones reads Ricky's latest rant that he's going to blow them all away. And no one says anything because they were afraid. Maybe a friend is asking you the question, why do I even get up in the morning? What is the point of all of this? And no one says anything because they're afraid. Say you're in a situation like these women in which you are asked by this angel to say something that in all likelihood no one is going to believe because A, it would be completely unlikely and completely impossible for a crucified, flatlined, rigamortis man to walk out of a cemetery. That's the first problem. The second problem is B, you're a woman whose voice in that time had less value than a used Kleenex. Why would you be afraid to speak? You can kind of understand. But I want to ask us the question today. Why are we afraid to speak? What prohibits us from saying something? Maybe it's how they might think of you. Oh, she is out of her mind. Man, he needs some help. Oh, she must be one of those. You might be asking how it might cost you to say something about your faith, your reputation, your job, your, so your social standing. But more than that, I do believe that fear in each one of us that keeps us from speaking in these situations actually has to do with what the passage is all about. Speaking, and when we're afraid to speak, usually has to do with some kind of fear of dying. Underneath every fear that we have is ultimately a fear of death. I could kill this relationship if I say the wrong thing. I could kill my reputation if I speak up for truth. Even in some parts of the world, it could kill your body if you're found out to believe what the majority would reject. This ending of Mark is here to bring about a collision for us between fear and faith. Boom. Between cowardice and courage. Boom. Everyone faces these fears, but none of us overcome it. We get scared. We stay scared. We are cowards, all of us. So when fear and faith collide, when cowardice and courage meet in the ring, who wins? Who comes out victorious? 
There's a question at the center of this passage which helps confront this collision of fear and faith. And it's found in verse 3 of chapter 16 in a question. Who will roll away the stone for us from the doorway of the tomb? The women who are coming early in the morning to add more deodorant to a quickly decomposing body are practically concerned about the heavy lifting that they would have to do to get that stone out of the way. But embedded in that question, who will roll the stone from the doorway of the tomb lies the dilemma for every human who faces their own fear of death. Death is a doorway we don't have the ability to reopen. You could exercise, you could eat right, You could delay it. You could escape in the pleasures of life so that you can even just deny that death is real. You could depress yourself like Eeyore who says, why bother doing anything when it's just a matter of time before it comes for me? But I have good news for you. A crucified Jesus has rolled away your greatest fear. Death has died. Death is dead. And take courage, take courage right now to go and tell anyone who would listen that death is defeated and Christ is alive. I want to walk through that imperative that I said to you just a second ago. Take courage to go now and tell anyone who would listen that he lives. I want to break those up into four parts. First, take courage. Our 32nd president, FDR, Franklin Roosevelt said this about courage. He said, Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the belief there is something more important than fear. In the first part of the passage, we witness a man, Joseph of Arimathea, who took courage. He was a member, Joseph was a member of the religious order, the Sanhedrin, who had Jesus crucified. Another gospel tells us that Joseph protested the actions of his people in bringing Jesus to death. And how else is Joseph described? Verse 43 says, he's a man who is looking for the kingdom of God. He's someone who is waiting for God to undo every wrong thing to make it right again. Joseph would have been there at the cross, witnessing above Jesus' heads the word, the king of the Jews, and hearing Jesus' last cry, it is finished. And so what became more important to Joseph, which encouraged him, he had courage to shoot his reputation further in the foot by barging into Pilate and asking for Jesus' body, that would have finished his career. What would have encouraged him to do that? It was those words of Jesus that we had heard in the previous passage. It is finished. Joseph could go into Pilate resting in some kind of finished kingdom work. Could Joseph see it finished? No, Jesus is still dead. But Joseph took courage, verse 43 tells us, that what Jesus said had to somehow be true even though he's dead. His faith in Jesus' kingship overcomes his fear of man and their potential to kill him. Joseph is saying by asking for the body, I'm with Jesus. And Pilate is saying, 
you're a fool. He's dead. The rest of the world is saying to you, follower of Christ, you're a fool. He's dead. The centurion confirmed it. Here's the corpse of your king. And Joseph is risking and resting his reputation, not in his own words or his own life work, but on Christ being the king. Joseph chooses courage over fear by dying with Jesus. Yet he doesn't see the other side of the tomb. That's faith over fear. I've told many folks who have been part of All Saints that I have had a dry, heaving fear about planting this church from the beginning. And it really, if I'm honest, it stemmed from this fear of failure. What if All Saints never takes root as a church? What if this church planter leads this place into the ground? Joseph must have felt that. What if staking my claim on Christ causes me to be seen as a fool or a failure? Am I willing to risk that? Friends, Christ remains faithful to his word. He will finish what he begins. Joseph believed that, even though he couldn't see that. I remember attending a presbytery meeting, which is a group of all these churches that come together. This was down in Missouri. And I was sitting, this was my first time sitting in one of these meetings, and they were, at part of the meeting, they were closing the doors to a failed church plant. Oh, there's the bell. Wow. They were closing the door to a failed church plant, and they were expressing thanks, all these churches, to this church planter for trying, for giving it a good, solid go. Wow, that bell is just really impressive. And my mentor at the time, his name was Zach, this pastor who loved me well and taught me so much. He floored me in his response. As the group was saying thank you for this planter for trying, um, the group gave a hearty clap as he stood there in front of the men, the men who were probably thinking, you know, I, I probably could have done better. That plant wouldn't have failed if I would have planted. And as the applause died down, my mentor, Zach, just kept clapping. In fact, he stood up and kept clapping, clapping more. No one's clapping anymore, and people are getting more and more uncomfortable. But Zach was not afraid to keep clapping because he knew this plant was not a failure. Nothing with Jesus' signature on it is a failure. The seed of this church plant would somehow, in some way, be resurrected, even if no one ever saw it. So Zach just kept clapping. And everyone was very uncomfortable. Friends, where is the seed you've sown that you can't see any fruit yet? I just keep clapping. I just keep saying, it will come. Trust Jesus' word to bring resurrection life to that thing that you believe has died. You're afraid it was a waste of time, a waste of your energies. I tried so hard and nothing's coming from it. Take courage. Everything the Lord Jesus begins never ends. Even if you don't see it right away, take courage. Next, take courage to go now. 
these verses, they light a fire to our fear as we look at timing in these passages. The women, at first, are looking at a distance, verse 40 tells us, at, on the, at the cross. They are at a far distance. They are sidelining themselves and being very careful as they watch and as they wail over Jesus' death. And we see them again in verse 47, observing where Joseph and his servants are putting the bandaged-wrapped body of Jesus back into the tomb. They watch that, again, from a distance. But notice what happens after that. In chapter 16, verse 2, what is said about timing. It's dawn now. It's the first day of the week. The sun is now in the sky. It said, the sun has risen. All language is there to communicate. This is a new beginning. This is a start of something new. And they look up after asking that question, who will roll the stone away for us and see that the heavy lifting is done? The angel's words in verse 6 have an urgency as well. He's not here. Look around. He's already waiting for you in Galilee. And notice what happens to the women's pace in verse 8. They flee from the tomb. There's this surge, there's this rush of astonishment coming over them as they hit the ground running fast. There's no waiting for further instructions. The time is now, first day of the week. Their fear, it's still there, but they're moving, they're going. They're not delaying. Parents, you know the pain of telling your kids this? Hey, we're leaving in two minutes, right? Maybe even this morning. Hey, we're leaving in just a minute. And hearing them shout from a faraway place, I'm coming, I'll be there in a second. And you sit in the car and you wait for them to get ready to go. You try all of your tricks in your bag to light a fire under them, to move, but they're still not in the car. Finally, you go in the house. Now, let's go now. Friends, the stone has already been moved for you. It is the first day of the week. It's time to go. You don't have to delay until you get your act together. Where might you be delaying on a call for God saying, go, that he's put on your life? Where are you waiting until other people start moving or speaking or acting before you'll move? Friends, you don't have to attend a few classes until you have your gospel speech perfected. The sun has risen, past tense. It's the first day of the week. It started. He's waiting for you in Galilee. Go. Go now. Quit waiting for the right moment or the perfect circumstance. Go now. Take courage now to go. And thirdly, tell anyone who might listen. We have to pay attention to how the Lord decided to choose these women to be the first witnesses of an empty tomb. Women whose testimony, as we talked about last week, had no bearing in a court of law. No one listens to women. So if someone were to actually listen to them, it would only be because the power of God made it so. Women of that day were not given the time of day. And the gospel turns the world order upside down on its head and says, these women are my witnesses. The least of these in order to make the most of Christ. Anyone who would listen to them, women, must be prompted not by the world to ignore them, but prompted by the Lord to hear them. Notice the other person singled out in who these women are called to tell. Look at verse 7. 
tell the disciples and Peter. Peter, the humiliated denier, is called out to hear the good news of Christ's victory. The Lord uses unlikely messengers to bring this message to an unlikely recipient who wants to hear his name called again even though he has failed his Jesus miserably. All of the disciples have scattered and they're carrying the weight of their shameful abandonment. That's who gets to hear the gospel. Those who know I am unqualified to receive this message. What's probably making the women afraid to speak is that they've never been allowed a voice. But we know from other gospels that they do end up opening their mouths. Fear is conquered as the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead empowers these women to say what they didn't think they could ever say to whomever they didn't think could ever receive this news. And friends, that's the beauty of the gospel. That as we tell anyone who might listen, our weakness is the vessel by which this gospel is best carried out. Think of the show America's Got Talent. You know it? It's kind of getting old, but their whole shtick was when most unlikely people come on the show to display the most amazing of talents. Even if you remember a while back, her name was Susan Boyle. She was a frumpy, middle-aged woman, walked out on the stage and said, I'm going to sing I Dreamed a Dream. And she starts singing, and it's like the angels are singing. Or Cody Lee, this blind, autistic 22-year-old, sitting awkwardly at the piano when suddenly comes from his mouth this powerful voice he didn't seem to have for himself. That's how the gospel is displayed. And so I say to the Peters of All Saints Church, to the failed deniers who believe their track record has disqualified them from singing the song of the saints, hear these words, go tell the disciples and you. Women of all saints whose voices have been kept muted by a really bad interpretation of 1 Corinthians 14, or a history with an abuser who says, you've got nothing anyone wants to hear. Open your mouth and let, not you, but the Spirit speak and soar through the words of your testimony, through the things you've seen God do. God uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. There are Peters, there are women, there are sinners who need to hear your song and maybe find forgiveness and hope to sing along with you. Lastly, Take courage now to go and tell anyone that might listen, tell them what? He lives. He lives. Some of us have heard the story of resurrection so often that we've become immune to it, right? When you see these women trembling and astonished by Jesus being raised from the dead, it doesn't really do much to you. Why are they so afraid? What's the big deal? But I want you to think about something for a second. This might be hard. I want you to think about someone in your life who has died, who has been incredibly significant to you. Someone you lost, where their loss leaves like the biggest hole in your heart and in your life. 
where you experience the most profound grief. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's a child who died too soon. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a best friend. Think about that person. And what if someone were to tell you right now, right now, if you turn around, they're standing right there. They're breathing. They're smiling right behind you. What would your reaction be? You'd probably not turn around right away. Fear might grip you because that can't even seem imaginable that they would be behind you. The disciples and the women would see Jesus again, standing, breathing, eating, smiling in Galilee. And in beholding that sight, that unbelievable sight, they could think of little else to talk about or live for than the one who died and lives again. Fear not, the angel says, the one crucified is raised, the one laid to rest is resurrected. Death no longer has any hold on Jesus. And as you hold on to Jesus, friends, death has no more a hold on you. He lives to never die again. And the same power, the same spirit that raised him from the dead lives in you, faithful, fearful one. What can man do to you that Christ hasn't undone? What grave can hold you that Christ has not overcome? All Saints Church, what if the cliff ending of Mark was how we ended as a church? No one said anything for they were afraid. Lord, I pray it not be. We are here in this park, in the middle of this city, Green Bay, with a message for this age. Death has died because Christ is alive. Every fearful person driving in those cars, every fearful person living in these homes, attending these schools and even these churches needs to know that fear can be overcome by something far more important than fear. A God who says, fear not, the one crucified is raised. The stone that held us in the grave is rolled away. Whether they think us lunatics or liars, may our lives, our weak and nothing to write home about lives, carry on them the song of his resurrection. Friends, take courage now to go and tell anyone who would listen that he lives. I think of the song that uh, I went to a school that had a songwriting course, and my songwriting teacher wrote these lyrics, and I thought I'd close by singing them to you this morning as an encouragement. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, my life is worth the living just because he lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are alive and nothing can hold you down any further. You are resurrected and we too have that same spirit living in us. So, Lord, what, what could we be afraid of? What could man do to us 
May the ending of Mark, this cliffhanger ending, not be the ending of this story of the saints. May it just be the beginning, Lord, as we take courage as a people to go now and tell anyone who would listen to us, He lives. Give us the courage, remove our fear. And help us, Father, to be strengthened by your Spirit every day to live on mission in this world that you have made. Make us your willing participants, your Peters, your women, your sinners who go out and tell the world an impossible message, but one that is to believe, is to be believed in order to live. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.